0: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher.
1: Hi, this is Desi Jetikin. How's it going, Des? Pretty good. I got sick again. Like, I'm re-sick. It's a new sickness. Um, My life is misery, but you guys can complain about all my flaws. (laughs) (laughs) My vocal whatevers and...
0: Well... I'm I'm taking over the show today. It's my it's my week to do the story so Desi can sit back and just interject interject with her sassy comments. <laughs> First thing we're going to uh, do is thank our latest Patreon contributors. This week we had Marlene, Allison, Nicole, Laura, Monique, Kirsten, uh, Judy and Amy. Thank, Yay, you thank you guys so much. That's so cool. Also,
1: if you don't have money to donate, which is totally fine and cool, we love you anyway, you can help the show out by going to iTunes and giving us five-star review or um, write a review if you have extra time. Um, that's also very helpful to it the show. It does help the so, show. It um, helps us get seen. Yeah, you can help in many ways. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can. <clears throat>
0: so Desi and I uh, watched the American Crime Story... The
1: assassination of
0: Johnny Versace. <laughs> now, I read that it was deliberate that uh, Ryan Murphy, who's the showrunner, right? I reported it that the assassination week, that it was
1: a deliberate thing because they think it's like a a sort of government conspiracy, homophobic thing. Like the the fact that they didn't catch kunanen before he got to Versace was, was because it was gay men holophobia. being killed initially, or at least the first two um, slayings. Uh, by Cunanan were gay men. Right. So they think uh, that that's why he wasn't captured, maybe. Like, he should have maybe been captured before he got to Versace. Right. Which may be true. I mean, it's hard to say why people do what they do. It's an interesting thing to
0: debate on, but I think there's no question that Andrew Cunanan himself was just a narcissistic sociopath who had no empathy for other people who
1: wanted to who was a murderer. Right. And I don't know. I guess they'll we'll get into it. So should we recap? Let's recap uh-huh. briefly the show. Yeah. So I was surprised personally that in the first episode they just get right into the murder. Right. And we talked about this a bit before we started. It's pretty uh and this is something I did hear was a complaint of the family, Versace's family, that they um really focused on his injuries like the shots were pretty gruesome yeah focused and there were a lot of them this was not just like a a flash of his head his head on the stairs or whatever there's like a huge scene in the hospital where he's literally lying there after dying and they're cleaning him up or something right and it's just like you're seeing his head i was surprised that we saw the wounds as well also we got to see the bird get killed oh yeah that's right (laughs) which i hadn't even I don't even remember, but then when I did my research last week, uh, that's when I heard about the bird thing. And to see it was like it was like a very very big dramatic right. moment. With they the bird. made that a point right. in the episode
0: to show that he had also killed a bird in the process, <clears throat>
1: not on purpose. But- there was uh, some funny things in the opening that stood out to me in weird kind of ways, and these are the kind of things I do love focusing on in yeah. these kind of. Um, I don't know what the right word is. I mean, they're borderline campy, these kind of shows. Well, Ryan Murphy is like, yeah. So, which is fine. I love that, but there is something a little extra. (laughs) These aren't straight up, you know, true crime. They're, they're, they're kind of, they have all these extra things that just make me laugh. One of them. And I mentioned this to Rachel was, was when he went to the magazine, uh, the kiosk or whatever, he's like, I'll take the one with Christie and the one with, with Diana. And I just laugh because it's like the kiosk owner is probably some like old dude. It's like as if he knows who Christy Turlington is. But it's like it's like these little insider like fashion, like, ooh, like we're fashionistas. We know Christy who Christy is. Right. And like Diana. The other thing was when um Cunanan was like walking around Miami. First of all, it's like there's like a very cheesy opening where he's in the ocean screaming. Yeah. And I do think uh what's his name? Darren Chris is very good. He was very so good. Um, the other thing I liked was uh, he was walking around Miami beach and there was like a guy who looked like Santa Claus and a <laughs> skating. Do you remember that, that? was So Miami. I liked that touch. <laughs> it just stood out to me. Cause I was like, Hey, like we're not going to, I want to hear, I want to hear about that guy. I, like, I wanted to know where he was going. I wanted to too. know his story. I'm just like not a Miami girl. So I don't really know a ton about that type of town is, it's probably like the last place I would ever live. Like, right. I'm just not a beach girl. I don't know if, if most of you have seen me, but I'm, couldn't be paler and whiter <laughs> like i'm 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 like a misty moore's like english irish type girl so for me miami it would be like hell like i'd I'd have to walk around with like 100 spf sunscreen on and huge hats like i just would not enjoy it i don't rollerblade like i just can't. i don't do it. i don't even go to the beach like look
0: if they had a casino in miami i'd probably live there and that's that on that <coughs>
1: So you're into it.: I'm so into it. Right. I mean, I've never been to Florida. I like the idea of it, but I just know I would be in misery. But you've been to you've lived in Florida. Oh my before. God, I was born there. So. And I've been to Miami, but I don't think I, as a kid, I wasn't there since it became cool, like, right? Um, but yeah. So the other thing I thought was interesting is that they seem like they're really going into this fantasy. Aspect of it with him that I want to talk about. I okay. want to address that because
0: <clears throat> if you listened to our show last week, we talked about whether or not Andrew Kurnanen actually had met Versace before, right? And the story that we had uh, discovered, well, that we talked about was how Andrew Kurnanen approached Versace at a club pretending that they had met before in Italy, which is a lie, which is Andrew Cunanan is a pathological liar, right. which you could tell that that was when he was meeting him that he didn't know him. But I was not under the, – they did not actually hang out together at the opera house. No. But they made it seem – that I thought it was confusing. It was not – they didn't do a very good job. I feel like I was – It it seemed like – that was presented as fact rather than fantasy. And maybe in later episodes, they'll show that that never really
1: happened. I feel like the problem was when I saw the opera scene, I thought, well, was the other one also a tall tale that he was telling his friends? Right. Like, do you know what I mean? It wasn't clear enough. It wasn't clear what was real and what he was lying about. And I felt like one thing they could have done maybe was like show like a Rashomon, like show his version. And then show Versace's version. And then show what happened. Like maybe it was just like, hey, I know you. And it was like literally a one second interaction or nothing.
0: And I thought they should have done that in the first episode. Maybe they'll do that in the second episode that it never happened. Yeah. Maybe it will be more effect effective. I don't know if they it. Do was do it it was confusing though. I agree.
1: Like I wasn't sure. I mean, I knew the opera thing just because I had researched last week and I didn't even hear that as like a fake story. Right. I knew it was uh, fantasy, but it was definitely—I thought it confusing. was presented as
0: reality in the show. Right,
1: there was no distinction. Um, the other, the
0: other thing I have to say—I'm um, a big Law and Order SVU fan, and so I love—I love a true crime show. I love it, and I know Law and Order is like fiction, but they do do rip from the headlines, and it is you know crime. So, I but I feel like one thing that SVU, one of the many reasons why people love it so much is because it is very gripping and tense. Right. And the director on that show, they like the directors, they know how to build tension. And the writers suspense. know how to build tension and create a, a sense of unease and tension and horror. And I didn't get that from this episode i didn't get any tension even when they were chasing him um brendan and i were talking last night about it cuz we both watched it together and he said that the uh the scene that followed after one of the police chases was him going to the magazine kiosk and buying all the papers up but that scene should have been interspersed with them. He thought that that scene should have been interspersed with them chasing, so you didn't know if they were about to catch him or not. Right. But it was that scene happened after it was all resolved that they didn't catch him. I just felt like there wasn't, I don't know, I for some reason, I just didn't get any tension in the episode. Yeah, it's hard to... But maybe that will come. I don't want to judge the show based on the first episode. I just wasn't per- personally blown away by it. I think that there were elements that I really liked. Like, I really thought they did a good job with costumes. I thought they did a good job with um, the casting. I thought Andrew Kunan uh, and Darren Chris played Andrew Kunan, and I thought he was great. And I loved all his, like, sociopathic little tics that he had. Right.
1: I liked, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely
0: watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz, her Donatella accent is so good. She sounds just like Donatella, right? I
1: mean, uh, this is gonna sound horrible. She's so pretty, though. It's really <laughs> she doesn't look like she Donatella doesn't look at like all. her at no. all. And I mean, I think the thing that's great about Donatella is that she is all look. Like she right. is not like the most model-looking woman, but she has created this iconic look for herself. Right, despite not being like the most conventionally attractive person right do you know what I mean like no, and I Penelope mean. Cruz is like very pretty do you know what I mean it's just so it is a bit distracting because it part of me is kind of like that's not Donatella <laughs> like, she doesn't look everyone, like everyone everyone else is so dead on looks wise that I think it made it stand out yeah, more for me I agree. possibly I agree I mean it's still fine I don't really care but I think because everyone really kind of looks like the people they're playing especially right. the Versace and uh I think Darren Criss looks enough like Andrew right. I think he's even half Filipino as he well. Yes, like, I think. Um, I think that's why the Donatella really stands out she to me. She does stand out like a sore thumb because it just right. looks like Penelope Cruz in a wig and bleached right, eyebrows right.
0: as opposed to Donatella. But,
1: I mean, I feel like, I feel like you know, I'm going to still watch it like I said before. Yeah. It's hard for me to know because I know so much about the case already and then I did all that research last week. Is it just because I know so much that it's not as compelling – like at for, as it might be for someone who knows nothing about the case like right but i don't know i feel like i've watched tons of movie on cases that i know and i'm still like i hope they get going. like right it's not like i i mean it's not like a new thing for me where i'm watching something i know a lot about so i i feel like you can build attention i don't know it's hard to say we'll I, see what happens we'll i mean see. there's like nine more episodes I'm
0: curious to where How they're going to How are they going to go. drag it out? I'm curious to where they're going to go because we already had the murder happen. The, the way they're telling the story is very interesting. I'm very curious to see if they're going to go back in time to his other they murders. They have to. They have to go back to his other well, murders. what else would the
1: movie be about? I mean, or the series be about? But
0: then is Versace even going to be in the other episodes? I don't know. How are they? I mean, maybe it was a mistake stories? having him
1: killed or it should have been killed and then immediately a flashback do you know what I mean? Like we have like the cold open where Versace gets killed and then mm. we flash back immediately that's to 10 I, years ago.
0: That's what I thought they were yeah, going to do. And I don't then know. It, they just kept going back to 1997. Right.
1: So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's our recap. I think we give it, what are we going to give it?
0: Out of five stars?
1: Yeah. Five <laughs> Jimmy Choo heels.
0: No. Gonna give it five Versace. Uh, five Versace, Versace safety, safety pin, pin dresses. Dress.
1: Five, we only have five safety pins on the dress, though. We okay. tend to not be exposing ourselves. <laughs> okay, I give this. Um, I think it's a five for me. Out I'm of five? 30, no, out of ten. Oh, we're giving it out of ten. I have no idea. I I don't know how to do this. I'm not a professional reviewer.
0: I all things considered, I'll
1: give it a five as well. It's kind of like I'm gonna watch more, but I, if I wasn't into the story so much, I might be like, uh. Eh do you know what yeah. I mean like it's I'm if I wasn't into it I would be like whatever if I see it again I see it again if I'm home I'll watch it but because I want because of what yeah. we do and I'm, I'm and I want to know where it. they go with it <clears throat> yeah I mean it's always good I mean and Ryan Murphy does a good job usually yeah. making a compelling narrative even when it's kind of cheesy and extra and over the top you're still into it totally like I was, feud. I was into I was into even though that was kind of cheesy too I was drawn in right so we'll see what happens yeah cool that's that so today we are doing our Patreon pick
0: episode, our first one, yay! And this is because uh, earlier this month we reached our first financial goal of the show, which was five hundred dollars a month on Patreon. So thank you guys so much yeah, for that. Thank you. We're actually at about six hundred now since uh, we reached five hundred since the announcement. So that's really exciting. It really does help us a lot um, with covering costs and stuff. So, uh, the pick was Phil Hartman.
1: Were you surprised? I wasn't really surprised when I saw the choices. I kind of figured he might be the pick. I although I thought maybe Black Dahlia.
0: I thought Black Dahlia was going to win, honestly, and I was hesitant. I wasn't hesitant about doing Phil Hartman. I was more. Um, I knew I was going to go through a lot of emotion when I did this because I was such a fan. Right. of Phil Hartman's and he was such a part of my childhood growing up between the Simpsons and Saturday Night Live. So, um I wanted to make sure that I was going to honor his memory and do his story thoroughly and sort of, I mean I want to do all of our episodes. Right. I want to be very thorough with all our episodes, but I I was like, "Oh, this is like okay. I got to mm-hmm. I got to like you know, mentally prepare myself for this. So I did read uh, the book this past week called You May Remember Me, the Phil Hartman story. I read that book, which is a very thorough detailing of his life and his rise to fame and, and of course, the crime, which we're going to talk about. Uh, so let's just get right to the beginning. Phil Hartman was born September 24th, 1948 in Brantford, Ontario, Canada to Rupert hartman and doris marguerite he was also the fourth out of eight siblings so he came from a really big family wow phil and his family moved to the states when he was 10 and they settled in los angeles on the west side where phil went to high school and then later to santa monica college but then he dropped out to go on tour to be a roadie for rock bands oh wow yeah very interesting idea. In 1972, he went back to school at Cal State Northridge to pursue a career as a graphic designer. He found some success designing album covers for over 40 bands, actually, including the band America, and then he also did some promotional work for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I don't think Young, but he did Crosby, (laughs) Stills, Nash.
1: (laughs) I don't know why that's making me
0: laugh well i just wanted to, i just wanted Sans, to clarify Sans
1: young look i like, just
0: wanted to clarify in case someone was like excuse me excuse me it was right. just nash then young wasn't there yet right or he had left i don't know the chronology of them of the band of that no. band
1: who knows it's hard to keep i up know with young those. wasn't yeah. always there no and okay. he left and he left there's lots of country you know okay they well, fought and
0: <laughs> maybe that'll be another episode a <laughs> maybe. bonus maybe. <laughs> So by 1975, Phil had tired of his solo work as a graphic designer because he was really craving a more social atmosphere at this point. At this point, he joined the Groundlings, which he instantly fell in love with the whole improv comedy scene when he joined right. this theater company. And for those of you who don't know what the Groundlings is, it's a very famous theater company in Los Angeles. Their studio's on Melrose. It's been there forever forever. And it's sort of been the launching pad for like a ton of comedians that, you know, including Will Ferrell, Lisa Kudrow and John Levitz among dozens and dozens and dozens of other comedy stars. And Phil was a natural, like he hit the ground running there. He was like people like he belonged there. He absolutely belonged there. And in exchange for the $25 a month dues, Phil redesigned the Groundlings logo. So by 1979, he had four years of experience under his belt. And at that time, he was doing showcases at the theater for agents and casting directors. He was really, he had become the star of the theater. I mean, he he was like a veteran at that point. He'd been there for four years. He was like the guy to see. People knew who he was. And that same year, he made his TV appearance, his first one, on a little show called The Dating Game. Oh, my God. Yeah. I thought that that was such a weird little connection that that was his first appearance on TV. He was very funny during the show, during his appearance, and he ended up winning. But his date stood him up. What? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I wonder if she regrets that now. I hope so. I mean, I get it. I personally wouldn't.
1: Well, why go on the show? Right. If you're not going to do the That's date. That's true. I mean, unless That's it's true. This, obviously, unless it's Rodney Alcala. <laughs> that makes perfect <laughs> sense. But if but it's Phil Hartman. Yeah, I mean, that seems like, he sure. Was, he was pretty cute, too, back in the 70s. He's not a bad looking guy. And if he has a great personality, which he does, like. Right. Jesus Christ, woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's good enough for you? <laughs> you, don't want you to date- a, you're you on the dating game, clearly. The <laughs> jig know? is up, lady. <laughs> Jesus. Phil
0: appeared in a few commercials and had some small roles in television after that show. But his first real break came when his friend and Groundlings troopmate mate, Paul Rubens, asked him to develop his, cha- his new character named Pee Wee Herman.
1: Oh. Yes. Oh, God. I always forget he was on the show. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So in 1981, the Pee Wee Herman show debuted in L.A. and the taping of that show aired on HBO. Phil played Captain Carl. Yeah. Aww.
1: You know, it's funny. Like I'm friends with a lot of people in Groundlings uh, or ex-Groundlings or whatever. Um, and one of the people I'm randomly friends with on Facebook is um, Missy Yvonne. <laughs> Shut up. You're friends with Missy Vaughn? Yeah. And she's really, really, really nice and sweet. So every, every once in a while she'll like comment on something I post. I, I rarely post there. Um, but when I see her, I'm like, oh my God, like I still get very excited. (laughs) Dude, I would absolutely get starstruck
0: if I ever met anyone from Pee Wee's Playhouse. It's so exciting for me. Like, I mean, yeah, amazing.
1: She's very sweet. So yeah, yeah.
0: fun fact. She was also a groundlings,
1: right? She's a groundling too. Yeah. Yep. So in 1982,
0: Phil married his girlfriend, Lisa Strain. Lisa was about 10 years younger than Phil. Uh, 24 when they married and Lisa was a big supporter of his acting career and they loved each other very much but Lisa and Phil were pretty different Phil was definitely a lot more buttoned up off stage and at home and Lisa was like this hot young little firecracker she's very energetic very yeah. enthusiastic very sexy a lot more wild than him and she also had a way higher sex drive than Phil just, I love Lisa. Yeah, Lisa sounds like fun. Um, she like wanted to fuck him all the time, and he just did not have that high of a libido. Really? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And he couldn't give her what she wanted, sexually or emotionally. Uh, speaking of emotionally, Phil was also pretty emotionally distant as well. They just weren't compatible with
1: right. each other. An emotionally distant man? <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I am shocked. What the? Wow. Wow. So the marriage ended less than two years after it started. Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman then began developing a movie together. And in 1985, the cult classic Pee Wee's Big Adventure was released. Best movie. So good. God, I love that movie. So good. In late 1984, early 1985, Phil Hartman was then introduced to Bryn Omdahl a beautiful, tall, blonde woman who was sometimes a model. Like, that was her deal. Bryn had grown up in Minnesota where she had done some local modeling
1: stuff. A lot of women are a sometime model. (laughs) Look, I was a sometime model in my early 20s. I'm a sometime model. I was. I mean, I don't know. What the (laughs) hell does that even mean? (laughs) People took pictures of me. (laughs) So she
0: wanted to be an actress, and she moved out to L.A. Okay. And that, you know wasn't really happening for her
1: i wonder if she went to Barbizon. i never went to barbazon i never did either i would love to go to barbazon
0: <laughs> dude barbazon
1: it was like all about barbazon doesn't that back seem like in someone day? in like minnesota would go to barbazon and be like totally you should move to la because
0: barbazon preys on impressionable uh you know
1: corn and it's probably girls like very easy to be the prettiest girl in some minnesota small town <laughs> where there's, like, a Barbizon, like, to be the standout pretty girl. Right. Like, it's harder in L.A. and New York. (laughs) Obviously. That's why we develop personality.
0: (laughs) So, Brynn also struggled with alcoholism and cocaine addiction. Wow. Yes. And this is the 80s, right? Yes, this is. This is all throughout the early 80s. She was struggling with these two addictions. Um, But now, at the time that she had met Phil, she had around a year sober. Okay. And she was going to AA meetings. Her favorite AA meeting was the Rodeo meeting, which is in Beverly Hills. Does that still exist? Yes, it does. Uh, The Rodeo meeting, I'm not saying how I know this, but I know this. It, you know, is like... It's a fucking everything you would think a Beverly Hills AA meeting would be, and allegedly this was Bryn's favorite meeting. She liked going to see the celebrities that would show up there. Oh, okay, it was like a good people watching thing. Not, I'm not saying that she would go there to make connections, but it was sort of like the starstruck.
1: Like if you're gonna go to a meeting, maybe go to one where there's gonna be some people you can do some people watching. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird, but I kind of understand at the same time. Like whatever keeps you sober, right? Look, being in <laughs> being in recovery
0: in LA is a is a weird thing like that but at the end of the day if you like there all That the, shouldn't be your priority. It shouldn't be your priority and the fact that there are both celebrities and people pushing shopping carts who had just cut off the streets at in the same building should tell you everything you need to know about alcoholism that right. it does not give a shit who you are or your background you're all fucking losers. And I say this <laughs> as a loser myself. <laughs> As someone who is a drug at- recovering recovered drug addict, I say you're this. like the
1: guy who like I'm not just the president, I'm a client. I'm a client. I'm like the Bosley. I'm not just hair t- club calling people losers. I am also. I'm a loser. also a loser. Thank I you. get it. It's a fucking disease. I'm a like de facto loser. Like I'm technically not a loser, but I'm very close to losers. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I I support it. You support it. I'm, I'm part of the group. It's yeah. kind of like how I'm, ha- I'm like not really Jewish, but I am Jewish. I dub Desi honorate you. Or same with gay, like, or bisexual. Like I'm kind of gay.
0: <laughs> I'm not even looking forward to those that
1: replies <laughs> or that think piece. Whatever. Don't Don't at me.
0: <laughs> okay. Go on. Okay. So Phil had a habit of falling for anyone. He started dating immediately really phil was a love-to-love guy which i thought was odd considering that he's emotionally distant he was emotionally distant but i feel like maybe that was something that would happen to him once he was in the relationship and sort of comfortable with it he
1: wanted to be in love but then once he was there it was scary yeah that kind of makes sense yeah i feel like that is what happens they shut down when they realize oh i can get hurt now because i care right like they want it
0: or there's actual work to do
1: in a relationship. Right. It's not the, the, like the honeymoon phase or whatever is over. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: They think, oh, that's what happened. I thought we love each other. It's like, no loving. It seems each like other. he's not
1: really picking women who are right for him
0: too. Right. Like, well, yeah, I think he just wanted to be in these like whirlwind relationships. Right. Probably. So you're ignoring a lot of red flags. Yeah. So Phil, he fell for her really quickly, despite pretty much all of his friends hesitations. Oh, really? About Brynn. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't think that she was right for him. His friend, Ed Begley Jr., recalls an instance where Phil blew him off for lunch at his home in Ojai because Phil and Brynn had gotten into a horrible fight and they had broken up the day they were supposed to drive up there. And Ojai is like an hour and 15 minutes away north of L.A. So this was like a you know, a big plan. They had to go right. to their friend's home. You don't just ha- casually drive up to Ohio.
1: It's a plan. And they
0: had made like a big plan yeah. to go up there to have lunch with uh, Ed and his wife. You know, introduce themselves as a couple, but
1: Aww.
0: they didn't show up, and like Ed couldn't get a hold of Phil and was like, "What the fuck happened?" And they just to- they 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 stood them up. So finally, at around nine p.m., Phil called Ed and was like, "Look, we got in a fight." That's why we didn't show up today.
1: So we, they didn't even say they weren't showing up? No. Oh, God.
0: Yeah. So Phil and Bryn were broken up when he ended up, by the time he joined the cast of SNL in 1986. I, this week I watched Phil's audition tape for SNL, which you should, we'll post it. I know okay. I always say, I feel like I always say I'll post things that I never post them, so I just get it. try like to post get on, it. on a Facebook group. Right. But
1: I don't think they're usually related to something we talked about. Yeah. So we should be better. We're trying.
0: We're really trying. So Phil, his audition tape, it's spellbinding. I mean, this guy, I feel like everyone who knows the work of Phil Hartman knows that he's a genius, but he really is. Like when he, like the thing about Phil Hartman is like he commits to a character no matter what, no matter what's happening, no matter how shitty (coughs) the material is that he has to work with. Right. He goes balls to the wall. It is
1: one of those things. And I feel like Will Ferrell has that too. Yeah. It's like, it's something you realize, I think that with comedy acting, especially it's like all about the commitment. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, obviously you have to be talented and good, but it's like when you see someone really commit to something stupid, it's just funny. (laughs) Oh,
0: absolutely. It's like when there's any hesitation there with material, I think in comedy, whether it's in stand-up or in a sketch or in a movie, like it, commitment goes so far with it. And Phil definitely had that. So I, and, and auditioning for SNL personally seems like one of the most stressful fucking difficult, auditions of your life right to ever do because you're just doing characters right like one after the other you're, it's just you alone on a stage minimal props i mean you might have like one simple prop like a hat a different hat or what in this case at one point phil had a ray gun but it's like you're there's no set changes you're just like blank on a stage doing this in front of people who aren't laughing right and so you can't even gauge if they're in <gasps> if they're enjoying it or not in fact it seems like they're not enjoying it because they're not laughing I actually
1: had a friend who auditioned for SNL and he he did mention that like there's no laughter right and he said that Lauren laughed one time which is a pretty big deal and they yeah someone was like oh that's a huge deal he didn't end up getting on Saturday Night Live but I remember he was like so happy that that at least happened that one laugh right and It's traumatic to do comedy and not have people laugh. Totally. It's really hard to keep your confidence up. Oh, my God. Like,
0: it's terrible. It's really difficult. So Phil actually did get laughs. Oh, good. During his audition. I mean, it was mostly quiet and mostly silence. But he did get some laughs, which is, like we just said, a big deal. So he was also close friends with John Lovitz, who had just gotten cast on the show. And John was really pushing for so. Phil to get on the show. So he had that edge on him as well. And um, he got cast and he was, uh, you know, on the show for 1986. And so he moved to New York at the age of 38. Uh, also, Phil Hartman, uh, I feel like there's not many older people. I think Leslie Jones is probably the oldest cast member.
1: Right. And I mean, when you were talking about it, I don't think I realized how old he was when he right. got SNL. Because you yeah. we were like, oh, I was like, oh, he was in the, the 70s. <laughs> he was
0: like, I didn't realize how old he was right. when he got on SNL. He was 38 when he got cast on yeah, SNL, his pretty... big break. It's pretty um it's cool. I like it. Yeah. I always like I'm super inspired when I see people who are you know get their success older at an older age, which is like deemed <clears throat> You know, um,
1: I mean, it's like if you're a man, sure. No, right.
0: <laughs> if you're a man, sure. That's great. Great. But, good for you. Good for you, <laughs> Phil. But he didn't even start doing comedy until he was 27. Right. Which is still, like, you know, a big deal to me. Um, so he was known as the glue on SNL. And he really was. Like, he really held a lot of scenes together. He was an anchor on the show. He wasn't known for in the especially in you know the early years. He didn't have any signature characters. That I feel he played. like the thing I
1: remember about him from those earlier years, he was always really good, even when he wasn't the main person. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like well, that's what, it was very was supportive. Yeah, it was like this very supportive type cast member right where he would just be there and not just lazy and in but the not chew the scenery exactly it's like he let those people shine but he also did a good job it wasn't right. just yeah right in 1987
0: while SNL was on a break he returned back to LA to see Bryn and they got back together and then she moved in with him in New York pretty quickly after they got back together okay which concerned his friends one of Phil's former Groundlings co-stars was Cassandra Peterson, oh. who you may know as Elvira, mm-hmm. who I will be just referring to her as Elvira in this episode. She was set to appear on the Halloween episode in 1987. She dropped by Phil's office to say hi, and Phil showed her an engagement ring that he was planning on giving to Bryn. Elvira immediately blurts out, oh, God, no. That's her reaction. Everyone needs a friend like Elvira. <laughs> oh, my God. Totally. And Phil was obviously upset, and he was like, get out of my office. Right. Like, he was really hurt by that, which is understandable. And Elvira later said she was like, that was so rude of me. I shouldn't have done that. But Even- it was
1: a, a spontaneous reaction. It was
0: a totally visceral, spontaneous reaction. She was not on board with Bryn at all, and she was very close with Phil. She was thinking about him and his well-being and yes. she thought this was a bad idea. So because of this, though, they would end their friendship for a few oh, years. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I can imagine that's like pretty awkward. Like, especially when you're in it, you know, can you imagine like you're about to propose to someone and one of your close friends is like, ew, gross. And you already have the ring and stuff. And like, like I can see both sides of it. Honestly, what I'm in my
1: opinion... I can see it more for some person in their 20s. <laughs> but someone who was almost 40, I would. I think you should listen to your friends a bit more. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you should listen to your friends. And his friends did have a bad... If all your friends hate someone, that's not good. Right. Like, I don't think I've ever had an experience as an adult. I remember in high school or early 20s, right, having friends where we all hated their boyfriend or something. And they're still with them. Yeah, and it was, like, one of those things where they would break up, and you'd be like, oh, my God, I fucking hated him, and then they'd get back together the next week, and they'd, you'd be on the outs, like,
0: <laughs> do you know right. what I
1: mean? Like, You'd either be on the outs, or you would just have to, like, support them. Right, so I feel like it hasn't really happened to me as an adult, where yeah. I've had a friend who I hated their serious boyfriend. Like, obviously, I've hated people they dated or something, but I don't right. bother getting into it at that point. Right. So it is kind of weird to me that he would propose to someone that all of his friends did not like. Yeah. Like... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and
0: I don't know how explicit they were.
1: I guess maybe more in the beginning. But you can tell when people don't want to hang out with you as much. Yeah. Because people should be joyful in that situation. Like, Right. You know, like, I don't know. But anyways. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Obviously, we have hindsight, too, because they were all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. And in June of 1988,
0: Phil and Bryn um oh excuse me i skipped ahead phil hartman and brin they got married november 25th 1987 which i thought was shocking because if this happened october 1987 that he proposed to her that's like they got married a couple weeks later
1: right but that makes sense because it seems like a snap decision right right i mean that's pretty fast it seems like they broke up got back together and maybe she had given him some kind of ultimatum like but Phil we also back?
0: <coughs> was like super... He had been married two times before that. I think there was another wife too.
1: Okay. So he was like a marriage guy. Some guys are just right. marriage guys. No, they are. They can't just have a casual or a non-married... It always has to lead to marriage. Right. Which I always find odd. Right. So in June of 1988, Phil and Bryn gave birth to their
0: first child, a son named Sean. Now Phil's first wife, Lisa had maintained an amicable relationship with him right after all these years after they'd split up they were I mean and that happens and that's right. fine I mean I like you know there are people I've dated who've had uh friendships with their former significant others from years ago and I don't have a problem with it oh. I think as long as no one's crossing any Boundaries or lines or anything, or it's like, why are you going to your emotional support for that person? Not even beyond like
1: right. the whole thing of
0: cheating, but like if that's know, the person they contact when they
1: need someone, yeah, then it's, a problem, it's like, well, right? why
0: am I fucking here? Yeah. So, but they had they had maintained a fine relationship. They weren't. They occasionally talked. It wasn't. So it was healthy. It seemed healthy. Yeah, um, it was healthy-ish. Uh, so Lisa sends a congratulations greeting card to Bryn and Phil, which is which is like a good sign that it was like not intrusive of their relationship in terms of like at least she's acknowledging that they're together right. sort of and like, like not resentful of the relationship. Yeah. So uh, they get this card in the mail from Lisa and Bryn was not happy. She's like, that was so sarcastic. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> She was fucking pissed. Okay. This is a quote from Lisa. Oh. I got back four pages of the most vitriolic, verptitution, threatening of my life. Did she get her thesaurus? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Oh, threatening my life, telling me if I ever came near her child, she'd kill me. Okay. Calling me every name in the book, telling me I'd better keep my hands off her husband or she'd come rip my eyes out. Wow. Just insane. She never knew me. She never met me. She didn't know anything about me. I really would love to read the four pages.
1: (laughs) I want to know what's in that letter. (laughs) Me too. Like, that sounds amazing. Oh, my God. And, like, I... I mean, that's something I would keep forever and do dramatic readings at every party. (laughs) Four pages. Four pages of that kind of stuff. And I have seen some insane... Stuff from women like texts my friend have gotten or whatever, oh, yeah. and we just laughed so hard that in my mind I was like, I will never do that. <laughs> have you? Okay, I, I was. I don't even. I, I'm not that crazy, but part of me is like, well, the last thing I need is someone mocking my <laughs> insanity, which I would do to me too. Like, right, right. I mean, that is just what in the hell?
0: Beauty should be good for you, and that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. See why Upstart is top ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com slash Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. Like, have you ever done, like when you were younger, I don't expect you would have done it recently but like when you were younger have you ever done anything that was crazy or snapped on a guy that you were with or
1: stay away from my man or like no I never did anything like that I did do like some I guess what you would consider like emotionally manipulative right like Like, passive aggressive um yeah I would do something like if I didn't want them to leave act like oh I got injured (laughs) like but I mean this is like literally when I was a teenager like my first boyfriend right like, I would guilt him, probably. But I never went off on another woman. That's right. That's something I never did. I mean, I have privately, to my friends, totally. gone off on other women. But I have never confronted a woman like that. Like, I just... In general, it's not my nature. And I do have some women right now who would love to go Florida on. But <laughs> I probably... It's something I, I kind of fantasize about doing sometimes. But ultimately, it's just not my style. Here's the reality. I, I'm like a cold revenge... Like, I'm a long-term... Psychopath. long con <laughs> you're, you're, I don't ever want to be looking like I'm a saint an insane person I prefer to do it subtly <laughs> do you know what I mean like I get my
0: I get my irrational anger out in a healthy way in terms of venting about it to you or right. venting about it to a friend
1: I I, I, I can't confront someone if they came to me then I would literally destroy them with my words like <laughs> I know I could but it, I will never go after someone. No. If they come to me, then, then I have no choice but to fucking, you know. Defend yourself. Right. And then I'll go off on them and all the hurtful things that will literally ruin the rest of their life. Because <laughs> I don't hold back and I know exactly where to go. Jeez. Which could, Which could be why I stop myself. Because it's like, Desi, come on. <laughs> don't destroy people. <laughs> it's so easy for you to do. <laughs> so maybe that's why I stop myself. Because it's, yeah. like, it's not worth it. Like, yeah. But yeah, if they came after me. But no one comes after me. Because they know. I also, I've never done that. Have you done
0: that? Like no, to another woman? No, Come never. On. I've never done that. <clears throat> I have vented to my friends
1: about. Oh God. And I've said insane things to you, I'm sure. like oh, yeah. In the heat of the moment. I mean, ultimately I have like a policy that no one is really worth my effort. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? Like I, I don't. And here's the thing. If you're
0: significant, another they're with you. They're not with that person.
1: Most of the time I think to myself also like, I'm never gonna look like the insane bitch. Like even <laughs> if something is driving me up the fucking wall, I'm gonna be like, "That's okay, baby." <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm never gonna put in writing, especially me acting insane. There's just no way I would ever do that. Like, I don't get women who send things like that. Like,
0: I've never sent a, a letter like that before to anyone. Hell no! I've w- never why would you give it. someone evidence of your insanity? Never done it. Uh, like, honestly not that i'm like this fucking spiritual gangster but the only letters i've ever sent to people were like a men's (laughs) letters because i should have sent them to people right but like i've never sent like
1: listen bitch listen bitch you stay away from my man like i've never loved a man enough to humiliate myself in that way i mean that's not a real love i think that's part of it like right if i felt like someone was doing something behind my back i wouldn't go after the woman i would destroy the man in person (laughs) i wouldn't write a fucking letter like come on i'm not leaving a text or a message or a letter it is a little extreme how do you write a letter first of all well this was the 90s or the 80s to write a four page letter and keep your rage up for four pages it seems literally psychotic like Come
0: on. Well, not to be an armchair psychologist here, but it appears that Brain had stopped going to her AA meetings. <laughs> right. So she was a dry drunk, which is more dangerous than a uh it's wet right. drunk. Right. Like Okay. And ter- like I'm saying Cuz you have a, like a lot of tension. Alcohol's the medicine. Right. That's just a symptom of the problem. The real problem is you're you not know, dealing with something. You're not dealing with your craziness. Right. Okay. So uh she clearly was not focusing on recovery no one who's like serious about recovery is writing a four-page fucking no. bitch letter
1: right well that's like part of the program right to yeah. not to like to don't, not to do harm to people or to make amends to, to people, make amends not to, people. to people. start new things right exactly. she was not amending <laughs> she was starting new things i'm saying she needed
0: a spiritual solution and that was not it no okay no. okay so Lisa confronted Phil about the letter. Oh, good. She was like, what the fuck is this? And Phil actually said, I knew that she wrote the letter and you should have seen what she was going to say, what she wanted to say. That wasn't even as bad as like her first draft.
1: So is he bragging that he, t- he calmed her down? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's such a guy move. That is such a guy move. Like, I'm the hero in this, right? She was initially going to say she was going to stab you in the pussy. I got <laughs> her to just say she was going to rip your eyeballs out. Like, I calmed her down. Like, right. What the
0: hell? So Lisa, no. Lisa was pissed. She was like, wait, you knew about this letter and you let her send it? Right. So that was the end of their friendship. Yeah. Um, and, oh, this is really crazy. Lisa also learned at some point during this... That Phil had told Brynn at one point that she was not, in fact, his soulmate. But that Lisa was. What? Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's Lisa. what Lisa
1: said. Uh, Can you even imagine (sighs) arguing about soulmate? I'm sorry. (laughs) That could be a whole other show.
0: (laughs) So... In 1990, Phil made his debut on The Simpsons as shitty lawyer Lionel Hutz, which is one of the greatest characters of all time. I fucking love Lionel Hutz. I use his gifts whenever applicable. Right. Um, It's a good GIF. He's like one of my favorite Simpsons characters ever. So... (gasps) the other simpsons character that phil played that he was famous for was Tora mcclure which oh, yeah. is where the you may remember me from right. that's where that comes from uh which is the title of the book uh that i read this week and he made that debut in 1991 in february of 1992 phil and Bryn's second child was born a daughter named bergen while phil's children brought him immeasurable joy his marriage continued to be contentious his castmate Chris Rock once noted that they were always fighting. Like he always had known them as a couple that was just a fighting, arguing, right, not happy couple. And he didn't want to be around them when they were together. Like he liked Phil. It was a uncomfortable, lot. but it was uncomfortable. Right. And I think a lot of people felt that way too. And it should be noted that Phil which I'm not I wasn't surprised to learn this that he was just beloved by everybody on set yeah he was really easy to get along with he was a really hard worker he was uh, a paternal figure to a lot of people especially the younger castmates on the show like by the early 90s when Chris Rock and David Spade and Adam Sandler and Chris Farley came on they're all in their early 20s when they debuted on the show and he was very much a mentor I bet
1: you this is also I mean it's his personality clearly but I think having success later in life like that. Yeah. He had lived and he knew how grateful he should be to have that. You know what I mean? I feel like that does change your perspective. Whereas you become famous in your twenties, you're like entitled sometimes and feel like you deserve everything. So I think he did have this maturity that maybe a lot of comics. He did. Yeah. And
0: he was a very hard worker and he loved, he loved his job. Like he really, he wasn't looking at the clock when he was on set. Like he loved the process. He loved being there. So he also, I was surprised to learn that um, he was, it seemed like he was the closest in terms of uh, in the 90s SNL cast to Chris Farley. Okay. They were really close, and he really um, took Farley under his wing. I thought that was very sweet. I'm a huge Chris Farley fan, obviously, as well. Bryn was unhappy, though, with how much time Phil spent working, and she wanted more time with him. And I think, you know... It was interesting reading her uh perspective on things in this book because I did didn't know a lot about how their relationship was. All you really ever heard was that she was crazy right. and that she was a drug addict. And Phil wasn't a mean husband or abusive in any way, but he was definitely very cagey emotionally and uh Worked they would, a lot and he worked a lot and they would the thing that drove Bryn nuts is that they would get into these fights and Phil would just shut down. He wouldn't even fight back with her. And she wanted him to like hash it out, whatever they were arguing about, and he would just go away or lock himself in his room. Like he that was is like irritating. Yeah. And that irritated her to no end. And um, Julia Sweeney talked about it. Julia Sweeney was a played Pat on SNL, was famous for that. Very problematic. Very well. <laughs> Pat's the famous androgynous right. character um, from the early '90s on SNL, and uh, she she also an ex-groundling, right? Uh-huh. And she had developed a friendship with Bryn, so Julia got a lot more of Bryn's I see. side of the the story and their relationship. So Julia had said that you know she had had a lot of empathy for what Bryn went through in this relationship, right? And didn't excuse her bad behavior, but could see what was causing that she was ramping it up. She was up, you know, she Phil would drive Bryn up the wall sometimes with just right. like why are you so shut off? Like talk to me. I'm your wife. You know? Right. Let's work this out and he would just shut down. In 1993, Phil was filming the movie Greedy with his old friend Ed Begley Jr. The friends had plans to have dinner with Bryn again. But Phil had to cancel again. He phoned up Ed and said that he needed a place to crash because he had gotten into a bad fight with Bryn and that they were breaking up. Phil was like, yeah, it's, we're done. Let okay. me stay at your place. But Phil ended up not staying over at Ed's place that night and didn't even call Ed again. And Ugh. Ed just assumed that Phil and Bryn had made up. Right. As tensions between Phil and his wife, Bryn continued, he confided again in his ex-wife, Lisa. He would call her to vent about Bryn's tantrums in which she would throw things. He vented to her about her constant need for validation and her plastic surgery that she was getting. Bryn was pretty insecure, and she had a lot of insecurity, especially around Phil's fame and the fact that she had never been able to make it. In right. the industry as an actress, and she felt like her only role in life was like I'm the wife of a celebrity. So I have to look good, right? And my husband, he's like <clears throat> beloved for all these things, and I'm just his wife, you yes. know. She did have a lot of career aspirations, and for whatever reason, she didn't wasn't able to make it. Some close to the couple speculated um, that this was where a lot of her anger originally stemmed from with him just like Like this resentment yeah this resentment of like his career and her lack of a career really is what sparked a lot of
1: stuff and just drove her it clearly seemed like both of them have issues that they're not dealing with and taking it out in the wrong ways and on each other absolutely like both of them seem honestly very emotionally immature yeah in different ways in different ways just like a perfect storm of a like a bad combination absolutely
0: So uh, even though the marriage was a mess, it should be noted that Bryn was a very devoted mom to their kids. And Phil was a good father as well, even though he worked a lot. But they loved their kids. And they really did do a pretty good job as parents in that respect. Bryn was super involved in their lives. So Phil left SNL in 1994 And in 1995, the sitcom News Radio premiered with Phil starring alongside Andy Dick. By 1996, (laughs) Phil was doing News Radio and his marriage was deteriorating. Even though the public seemed to think that everything was fine. Like it wasn't a news tabloid story that they were upset with each other or or that they had problems. Like they did a good job. Of covering it. Of covering it up on the outside, I mean, at least in the outer circle. The inner circle obviously knew that they had problems. So um, they also weren't having sex, and Phil had a low libido, and Brynn wanted to have sex, and it just wasn't happening. Phil's friend Steve Small recalled a story that Phil told him once, that Phil and Bryn had a female neighbor of theirs come over one day and Phil turned to Bryn and said, She has great tits. Which I feel like is like again, that's like such a crazy th- tone-deaf thing to say. That is an insane thing
1: to say. <laughs> Can you imagine like to, especially knowing your wife is that insane? Oh my god. Like, well which and is, insecure?
0: Which is like the same insane thing that he said to Lisa, like when he said, Well, you should
1: have seen what she wanted to write right
0: or saying the thing about soulmates if
1: that's true yes I mean who knows but I like, mean maybe he is just that clueless about not saying I think he things. was just
0: clueless about it and like if my if I had like serious speculations even if it was unfounded but if in my mind I had convinced myself that my boyfriend was cheating on me and he turned to someone that we knew that lived next door to us and was like she has great tits I'd be like Now, you know, what the fuck? I'd be like, spark your...
1: You would be like, okay, something's something's going on. I'd be extra
0: paranoid and it'd be just hurtful.
1: It's not a nice thing to say. It's not, I mean, it's like different. It's not like she was like, wow, I wish I had those tits. And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I don't even know if that's good. But like, yeah.
0: like whatever like I'll check out girls with my boyfriend because I like women too but it's there there's like a time and a fucking place right there's a time and a place you know when it's not good that would not be appropriate to me especially if I was like worried that he was cheating on me
1: it's also something a little bit more inappropriate I think when it's your neighbor
0: yeah because then you see them all the time and it's like they're in weirdness they're in way too close it's also a little
1: disrespectful I think when you know them I don't know like it's just not cool
0: yeah not down with that But Phil didn't get it, why she was upset. Right.
1: He didn't get it. The problem, I think, with Brynn also is if she's constantly upset about everything, do you know what I mean? Right. It it might be hard for him to gauge when she's being out of control and when it's reasonable. Right.
0: So at one point, Brynn even suspected that Phil and Steve had a sexual relationship with each other, which wasn't true. But Phil's effeminate characters that he was known to play... And also this interview with L.A. Magazine sort of fueled that suspicion speculation. And this was uh, an excerpt from the L.A. Magazine story published in May of 1996. This is Phil. He says, The gay community has always had a delightful sense of sarcasm about sexual mores. Unfortunately, to a large segment of our society, gay people are viewed as sexual outlaws. God forbid a straight person should acknowledge that there are pleasures associated with their anus. <laughs> sorry yeah, that's better that's a big big door that people don't want to open i
1: thought you i thought you'd like that part. Yeah, thank you for a particular interest of mine
0: but like i mean yeah obviously in the 90s there was a lot more um stigma stigma and even more ignorance than there is today right uh and believe it or not believe it or not <laughs> uh so like i don't i'm like obviously i read this and i'm like oh he's just he's not a homophobe he's like a nice guy right he recognizes that
1: people are into different things and you just because a guy likes ass play doesn't mean he's gay i mean that's also very uh that's
0: like a very simple-minded
1: and dated totally Uh, trust me
0: (laughs) desi knows (laughs) but phil never cheated on bryn
1: okay and well he had a low sex drive yeah i mean was she suspicious that the low sex drive was because he was getting it elsewhere I think so. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was all tied to her insecurity, and she was very insecure. Right. In 1987, Brynn lost her sobriety. She relapsed on cocaine, and shortly after, she began drinking again. On Mother's Day that year, Brynn went out to a party and came home really early the next morning, totally fucked up, and got into an argument with Phil. He told her that she needed to go back to rehab, and so she checked into Sierra Tucson in Arizona, which is a rehab. But her stay at the treatment facility was short-lived. She was there for like four or five days. And she's like, I'm better. And she bounced. But obviously, she continued to spiral out of control with her drug and alcohol use when she returned home. Phil once again confided in Lisa. Lisa said that she was concerned about the fact that Bryn owned a gun. But Phil was certain that it was nothing to worry about. Phil couldn't understand what brin was going through with her addiction and blindly thought that she would just be able to pull it together like right you know he innocently thought you know she can do it she can figure it out and he didn't understand what he was up against which is drug and alcohol addiction which is like uh yeah it's, it's like it's intense it's intense so, on the set of news radio, he confided in two of his co-stars, one of whom was living with her boyfriend, Nick Nolte, who had his own drug problems. You may remember his very famous mugshot right. with the Hawaiian shirt and the windblown Wait, hair. Wait, who was
1: dating him? Who was uh, this?
0: I don't remember. I, I don't didn't think. write her name down.
1: Phil, Phil
0: came to set one day with scratches on his face from Brynn. And another day he arrived to set looking particularly disheveled due to the fact that he had spent the night on one of his boats sleeping like he couldn't even be in the house. Only his two co-stars that he had told about Bryn knew the reason why. Okay. On December 31st, 1997, Phil and Bryn hosted a New Year's Eve party at their house. Andy Dick was in attendance. At one point during the evening, Andy and Bryn locked themselves in the master bedroom and did a bunch of blow. Jesus. Yeah, Phil was obviously hurt and very upset. Like, how dare you do cocaine with my wife? She she's a drug
1: addict. It's, it's like, hard to believe there was a time where people trusted Andy Dick. I do was you know going mean? to say like, it's like, why'd you invite Andy Dick to your party? But I don't. I mean, there was a time where no one knew. Like,
0: look, everyone who's who lives in LA has an Andy Dick story right. we have to do an Andy Dick episode we do I <laughs> okay. have an Andy Dick story Phil uh was hurt and in an effort to placate uh Brynn at one point to try and make her happy like this will make her happy and like maybe she'll like settle down and knock it off and and have some self-confidence he offered to pass around a screenplay that she had written Ugh. He reluctantly did this. He did not want to do it because he didn't think it was very good. That's so humiliating. Yeah. And he was passing it around to his colleagues and to his agents, sort of like, can you just right. say you read this? Um, and he really just wanted for her to be okay and for their marriage to work. Right. So he, he, was, he was doing, doing what this. he could. He was doing what he could. He was doing this because he loved her. But Bryn's mental health was on the decline and she continued abusing drugs and alcohol even while on psych meds. Elvira remembers a phone call that she had with Phil not long after both of their fathers had died. It was a heavy conversation about life and death. She remembers Phil saying this, If I die tomorrow, I would know that I have had a better life than anyone could have ever dreamed of having. It has so far outweighed my expectations. I've got a beautiful wife, two beautiful children. I am the luckiest man alive. Aww. Yeah, I thought that was sweet. On May twenty seventh, 1998, Phil spent the afternoon in Newport Beach with his friend Britt, hanging out on the docks and looking at boats, and later the two had lunch. He returned home at 6 p.m. where Bryn was with the nanny. Phil told Bryn that he was going to go to the Van Nuys Airport where he kept his plane and that he wouldn't be gone long. After Phil left Bryn uh brin told the nanny that she was going out for drinks with a friend at buca de beppo which was nearby their home in encino he's laughing at buca de beppo i am because it's so
1: dated yeah there's just something i don't know also that she would go to buca de beppo it's not very good no it's just like a weird it's like a fun, it's like say someone saying they went to like i don't know bennegan's
0: <laughs> or the olive garden yeah
1: okay so she went to Buca de Beppo, but they lived in Encino. That was what's nearby. Maybe. Look, we're, I don't, Look I'm not I'm not judging, I'm not judging, de judging or it's Encino. It's just making me laugh. Like, I don't know. It's a funny name. Okay. <laughs> just to get drinks at Buca de Beppo seems funny to me. It's like, what are you getting? Like grasshoppers and mudslides? <laughs> like,
0: she got Cosmopolitans. Of course.
1: I mean, that's the, of the time.
0: <laughs> Phil returned to their home in Encino shortly after Bryn departed for dinner and the nanny and was sent home. After dinner, or uh, at dinner, I should say, which was really drinks. They just went to this restaurant to have drinks. She met up with her friend Christine Zander, and the two were drinking at the bar. Bryn had two Cosmos and half of a beer. Christine was ready to call it a night sometime after 9 p.m. Before they paid the bill, Bryn went to use the phone at the restaurant. Remember, this is the 90s. Right. She had to go use the phone, so she had to use the actual... Yeah, at the restaurant where she called her old friend Ron Douglas. Ron and Brynn had dated 15 years ago, and the two had remained friends. Oh, it's fine for her. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Phil knew... Knew about him, and she was he was okay with their friendship just so long as that she didn't stay out extra late with him because both of them used to do a lot of cocaine together okay. back in the day. So, so this so, is an amazing phone call she's making. This is, yeah, this is an important phone call. So at 10.15 p.m., Bryn arrived to Ron's home in Studio City. The two friends drank beer and talked about Bryn's script. Ugh. She... <laughs> I don't know why her script makes me so sad. It makes me sad, too. Uh, She complained about Phil a little bit and about his friend Britt, whom he had spent the afternoon with in Newport. At 12.36 a.m., Bryn used the phone to call her friend Susan, someone that she had used to also done coke with. Okay. So she's looking to score this night. She's making a lot of bad choices. Yeah, but Susan didn't pick up. Bryn finally left Ron's house at around twelve forty-five a.m. Ron asked Bryn to call when she got home to make sure that she got home safely, but she never did. At some point, a few hours later, Bryn crept into the master bedroom where Phil was asleep. She retrieved his gun from the lockbox in a closet. She stood over Phil as he lay in their bed asleep, and she shot him into the right side of his neck. Bryn fired the second shot into his arm, and the third shot was fired in the middle of his face and into his brain. Jesus. Bryn then called Ron at around 3:25 a.m. She told Ron that Phil wasn't home, but that he had left a note saying that he was going to be home later that night. Bryn asked if she could come over, but Ron told her to just try and get to sleep. 20 minutes later, Bryn was banging on Ron's door. Ron answered the door and Bryn was standing there in her pajamas and socks but no shoes he could tell that she was pretty fucked up. Ron was upset, but he let her inside. Once inside, Brynn started crying and saying that she killed Phil. And Ron was like, no. like He couldn't believe that. I mean, he's like, this is a woman who is just really drunk and upset about something, and okay, we're going to try and sober her up right now. So... Bryn keeps passing out at Ron's house. She keeps passing out, waking up, crying. Pa- I mean, like, she's really gone. Right. Uh, and he's concerned. He wants to keep her awake so that, you know, nothing bad happens. And finally, at around 6 a.m., Ron was convinced that she was sober enough to drive home, which I don't think seems like a long enough time, personally. Uh, if she was, like, passing out right. just two hours prior. That it's you like would s- let
1: someone drive home in that state. Right.
0: But he also just wanted to get her the fuck out of his right. house too. <clears throat> that I understand. <laughs> right. He's like, just fucking leave. Okay. Right. You're sober enough. Like he made her some coffee. Right. He's like, go. But Brynn insisted that Ron follow her back to their house in Encino to make sure she got back. Okay. So she told him, take the gun. Uh, she, he, he does. He took the gun and On their way out, he looks in the chamber, and he notices that there's only three bullets in the chamber. And he got scared. On the way home, Bryn was driving like a total maniac. She's speeding, and she's blowing every single stoplight like she's out of control driving. And while she was driving, she picked up the car phone, and she called her friend Judy. She starts sobbing into the phone and screaming, I think I killed Phil. And Judy's like, wait, what? Where are you? Where are you? Oh my God, what's happening? And she hangs up and she pulls into her home in Encino and Ron pulls up behind her. The two ran into the house and into the master bedroom where Ron saw Phil's lifeless body. And that's when it hit him, like a ton of bricks. Next, Brynn called her friend, Stephen Marcy, on the phone and she told them that she killed Phil. So Brynn has been just calling everybody at this point. I killed him. I killed him. Ron's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. Uh, He does manage to call the police. And while he's still in the house, um, yeah, he makes this phone call to the police and he informs them, like, look, there's been a shooting. I'm at the house right now. I saw the body where it happened. Uh, I'm here with the person who said she killed her husband. So... Next, Brynn goes back into the master bedroom, and she locked the door, and F- Ron tries to break in. Did, so he didn't keep the gun? He did keep the gun. <clears throat> okay. Brynn has a gun of her own.
1: Oh, that was Phil's gun. That was Phil's Got gun it.
0: that she took. And so B- Ron is still in possession of this gun that's in a plastic bag at this point he had put in. And he's holding it and he has just gotten off the phone with the police. But Bryn's locked herself in the master bedroom where Phil's body is. And she's screaming and wailing. The kids are
1: not waking up?
0: They're not at this point. So Ron um, is trying to break in. And at this point Bryn called her sister Kathy. And Kathy's at work. And she tells her that she killed Phil. Phil's dead. And then she says to Kathy, tell the children I love him. So her sister's rightfully like really concerned and freaking out. Uh, Then she hangs up on Kathy before she can explain and the phone rings and it's the police calling. Brain picks it up and she tells the police that she's there and that Ron is also in the house and before Bryn hangs up the phone, she says, help me. Stephen Marcy, who was the couple that she called before uh they arrive at the house, but they can't get into the house, and they're at the gate like but trying to buzz like let us in, let us in. they're calling Brynn on her cell phone, and she's like, Ugh, like she's a mess, she can't even speak coherently at this point. They finally figure out how to get in um and they head over to the house, but police arrive shortly after and Sean, their nine year old son had woken up at this point, okay, so uh. Sean is safely escorted out of the house by Ron and the police. He's taken into police custody at that point. Ron uh, also gives police the gun that was used to murder Phil, Phil's gun. And their daughter Bergen was still asleep at this point, which is so crazy to me. Like there's so much noise happening. The police uh, make their way inside and can hear Bryn screaming. She's on the phone with her sister Kathy again. Like she called her back when uh, at this point Bryn heard an officer call her name and she hung up on Kathy she said got to go Bryn then got into bed with Phil took her own 38 caliber pistol put it in her mouth and fired a shot she was killed instantly Oof. before she was still alive when the police were right, there right. which is so
1: chilling to me i didn't know that detail i did know that i remember that cuz i remember there was like this period where you kind of feel like she could have survived or right. Which I don't saved. know like what that would have made
0: better, but I, I thought about that too. I was like, damn, like, I mean, this is such a tragic situation all around. Like right, what would have been, which is worse for the children that their mom isn't alive or that right. she's in prison for the rest of, yeah, I don't know. And they have this relationship with her. I don't know. Like I, it's just horrible. It's awful. Um, so the police entered the master bedroom to find the grisly scene. Both Phil and Bryn in bed together, dead. On June 4th, 1998, a ceremony was held for both Phil and Bryn at Forest Lawn Memorial in Los Angeles. And Forest Lawn is a very famous cemetery in LA. Michael Jackson's buried there. A lot of celebrities are buried there. So they had their funeral, like a joint funeral, the two of them together. Um, Both Bryn's parents and Phil's... Mom uh, spoke at the funeral. In his will, Phil had requested that his ashes be scattered over Emerald Bay off the coast of Catalina Island. And his children were also given everything in the will. So um, that's the story, but I'm going to leave with this uh, quote by a friend of ours, actually, that I found in People magazine from the article that came out in '98. Uh, after this happened and this is a quote from one of phil's former groundlings cast members which is patrick bristow oh yeah which is uh our dear friend andy's husband Mm -hmm. patrick said in this interview he was always gentlemanly and kind which is rare in comedy phil was everybody's big brother yeah um so yeah uh there was actually one – I forgot about this tidbit. There was a little thing I read that um, allegedly John Lovitz, who was one of Phil's best friends, right. he ran into Andy Dick at the Comedy Store in like 2006 or something like that. And he confronted Andy and was like, God, like fuck you forever. Like you gave Bryn coke. You got her back in, addicted to cocaine. Right. And she killed Phil. You. A lot of people blame Andy Dick for things." oh my god yeah like
1: yeah i we mean, have to do an andy dick episode we will because it will be insane
0: andy De- dick's top 10 greatest hits of
1: f- fuckery <clears throat> jesus like. christ yeah um that's very sad
0: it's really sad it is a
1: crazy story like of all i just remember when that happened thinking like that is like the last person i would think
0: it was so shocking that
1: would go this way i mean it's a shocking story no matter who but he just it's not like someone who had, like you said, a big tabloid love life that was constantly like right. Madonna and Sean Penn or something. Do you know Where what I there's mean? Like, there's a lot of clashes and rumors of violence and da da da. And even though that was happening, they were having these fights. It wasn't like a, like you said, like a tabloid story. It was shocking. So to it was the shocking public. out of nowhere. I had never even heard of his wife. Like
0: no, I didn't know about his wife either. I mean, <clears throat> maybe I knew he was married, but I didn't think about. She wasn't. It wasn't in the a news. relationship.
1: That was in the tabloids. No. I mean, so yeah, it was completely shocking.
0: And he didn't have drug problems or wasn't I mean, murder-suicide
1: is crazy. Right. Just non-celebrity. It's always a shocking story. So yeah, it was, and of all people, him who seemed like a genuinely good guy. He was a good guy.
0: He was, I was happy to learn that he was a good guy. He had his own faults and flaws. Like everybody. Of course. But he was a nice person and he tried to make the world, he wanted to make the world a better place. right? Like Um, I said
1: before, though, I feel like this was just a perfect storm of two people who should never have been together. They should not
0: have been together. They shouldn't have gotten married. And Bryn...
1: I think, I think like they brought out the worst in each other. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, and everyone has that side. I've been in relationships where we're both fine separately, but together we brought out like the worst... Right. Qualities. And Do you know what I mean?
0: Like, right. And obviously Brynn had her own issues no matter who she would have been with. Right. Because she was a drug addict and an alcoholic who wasn't treating her addiction. And
1: I feel like that's probably, you know, someone who is dealing with that kind of stuff doesn't really mature emotionally no, until they deal don't. with it. You So don't. she's like at this level right. of a... I mean, when I'm hearing this stuff, I don't know how old she was. I know she was younger than Phil, but we're talking about a woman in her late 30s when she died, right? Like 40. She so had 40. just turned yeah. 40. I mean, this is someone... Who should have not been acting like an eighteen-year-old with her first boyfriend, right? <laughs> do you know what I mean. Well, like, she was
0: emotionally stunted. Yeah, she from was emotionally stunted years from years and of years abuse. Of, right. So,
1: yeah, it's just this worst combination. Right. I think. Right. Um, and then obviously, this is like they both had guns. Like,
0: right. Well, Ed Begley Jr. actually said that after this incident happened, that he turned his gun into the police. He said, "I don't even want anything to do with this. I don't want it in my house. I." you know i had this for protection but i don't feel safe with it anymore right. in the house like right. i don't trust it um and whatever whatever you feel about gun control gun or guns or whatever it's like that's fine Look, like i have guns no-
1: just make it much easier to kill somebody that is this is <laughs> Do you true. Know what I mean? like i think we can all agree I like, like, i could shoot someone before i could stab them or strangle them right Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't. There's something unreal about it. I think. Yeah. So I can see why it's more. You know, that's just my opinion. Right. I don't think a person like. uh, I don't think Brynn would have done anything other than shoot him. Do you know what I mean? I also.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and she was drunk, and it was so spontaneous
1: and sort of. She she just. You can't. There's no going back. Yeah. Once you shoot someone when you're drunk, whereas if she had started attacking him physically. (laughs) Maybe he would have woken up and pinned her. You know what I mean? Like right, right. I uh, don't know. It's just it's sad.
0: It's, like, it's such a tra. It's such a tragedy, is what it is. It's just the whole thing is so tragic. And, and to do it with
1: the kids in the house. I mean, it's just yeah, horrible. And for I, I was thinking
0: about. I mean, I started crying when I was at the end of this book. Just are the kids okay? Did you say yes, anything about the them? kids are so okay. They're, all they're okay. I um, I stumbled uh, across the daughter's Instagram page because. Uh I looked her up to see if she was okay what she was up to, and she seems like she's doing really well she's right. engaged and um she seems happy, and she had gone to the fortieth anniversary s n l big oh, cool. remember they did that a few yeah. years ago uh-huh. Uh-huh. um and so like you know i, I like i was th- i was, i mean i don't know what the son is up to, but I was thinking about the kids a lot and just how. That my heart really broke for them. Right. It really broke for them. Well, yeah. And having to grapple with the fact that like their mom did love them, but she was a very sick person. Right. She, very sick person.
1: No, I'm sure that's a very Like how complicated that is. Yeah. Like with, I yeah. can't
0: even imagine. Um, 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 Aww, so okay. yeah, I know this like story is really sad, but I
1: also – And um, he is right though. What a great life up to that point. Right. I he mean, had a very good life. He did do a lot – he made a lot of people she happy. Kind of had success late in life, and that's cool. It is cool because it's it is sort of like a um, inspirational. I think it is to me. A lot of people feel like in Hollywood, especially, they have to give up if they haven't made it by like twenty five. <laughs> do
0: Which you know what I mean? So it is
1: absurd, but I feel like it is good to see and know that people, oh, if you yeah. want to, if you love what you're doing, just do it.
0: Right. You should continue to do. It. Right. Doesn't matter how old you are. So, um, but yeah,
1: he's great, and we have his work.
0: And I watched, I, I rewatched a ton of like my old favorite sketches. They
1: still hold with up with him in it. Yeah. yeah, he's just so brilliant. And the Simpsons stuff is just timeless. Oh know? my
0: god, the yeah. characters are amazing. It's so. still hilarious. So I'll, you know, try we'll and post, post some, some of my favorite clips this week, um, and you can see the stuff I was influenced by in comedy. Uh, my so, yeah, personal favorite. We'll join our
1: Facebook group. Yes, if you haven't already, it's really fun. It's called Hollywood Crime Scene Friends. Um, so we post stuff and we have discussions, as we've said before. And you can follow us on our other social accounts.
0: And you can post your own favorite Phil Hartman sketches, right?
1: Yeah, you guys can share and post stuff too,
0: right? Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.